to Seeking Rents, the podcast. I'm your host, Jason Garcia, the publisher of Seeking Rents, where we explore the ways that big business influences public policy in Florida, from the office of Governor Ron DeSantis to city halls and county commissions around the state. The name Seeking Rents comes from a term in economics called rent-seeking. And rent-seeking is what's happening when someone like a large campaign contributor gets politicians to rewrite laws in their favor in a way that helps that campaign contributor make more money at the expense of someone else. This is episode 16. You know, there was a moment of accidental honesty during this year's session of the Florida legislature. It happened naturally in the basement. It came during a meeting of an obscure committee in the Florida Senate, which was holding a hearing on the bottom floor of a Senate office building on a piece of legislation known as Senate Bill 256, a bill that was designed to make it harder for hundreds of thousands of workers across Florida to work together in unions and collectively bargain for better pay and benefits. Senate Bill 256 was one of the top priorities this past session of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who, as we all know now, was getting ready to run for president, a national campaign that is now being funded by some of the country's wealthiest billionaires, billionaires who, in large part, despise labor unions and want politicians who are willing to support union-busting laws. And Senate Bill 256 was exactly that, a big union-busting bill. And everybody on the Governmental Accountability and Oversight Committee in the Florida Senate knew it. And yet, for the first 20 minutes of that hearing, the bill's sponsor kept insisting that it wasn't. Senator Blaze Ingolia, he's a former chairman of the Republican Party of Florida who represents a district near Tampa and who was pretty much personally installed in the state Senate by Ron DeSantis, claimed that the governor and other supporters of Senate Bill 256 were actually trying to help workers. He was lying, and we'll explain more about that in a bit. But then he accidentally let slip the truth. I actually think if you look at it, this is a pro-employer piece of legislation, Angolia said during the hearing. He abruptly stopped a confused expression on his face as he realized that he just flubbed his talking points. So Angolia tried again. This is a pro-employee piece of legislation, he said. It was such bullshit that the entire room, Republicans and Democrats alike, burst into laughter. But nobody is laughing anymore because Senate Bill 256 is now the law of the land in Florida, and a whole lot of workers across the state are suddenly at risk of losing the protections of their collective bargaining agreements. The direct targets of this law are public sector employees, people like teachers, librarians, janitors, garbage collectors, cafeteria workers, nurses, 911 dispatchers, office assistants, power linesmen, the list goes on and on. But this bill will also indirectly hurt far more workers than that, including workers in the private sector. In fact, this law is especially damaging to women workers. We'll explain more about that in a bit, too. It's just an aggressively anti-worker piece of legislation, even for Florida, a state where so many elected leaders are utterly indifferent to the struggles of working people. This bill is so bad that it took nearly a decade of lobbying by big business front groups and billionaire-funded think tanks to get it passed. Seriously, this idea first showed up in Tallahassee in 2011. One of the very first people to testify in favor of it was an executive for the Florida Chamber of Commerce, 
a guy who's now a lobbyist for the Walt Disney Company. It's so bad that five Republican senators actually crossed Ron DeSantis and voted against it. It ended up squeaking through the 40-member state Senate by just three votes, making this one of the closest votes of the entire session. And this bill is even worse than most folks realize, too, because of the way different parts of it will interact with each other and with other anti-worker laws that were already on the books in Florida. So today, we're going to take a deep dive into Senate Bill 256, what it does, who is behind it, and what happens next. But first, as always, if you're not already, please subscribe to Seeking Rents at SeekingRentsFL.com. That'll ensure that every story we write and podcast we produce are emailed right to you. Seeking Rents does not have a paywall and subscriptions are free, but you can also choose to pay for one if you can afford it. Paid subscriptions are incredibly important. They help us cover the cost of reporting expenses like public records requests. There are monthly and annual payment options. I'm proud to say we have hundreds of paid subscribers already. If you have the means and you value our work, please consider joining. Okay, on with the show. So first, to really understand the impact of Senate Bill 256, you have to start with the fact that Florida is a right-to-work state. What that means is that a union in Florida can't negotiate a collective bargaining agreement with an employer that requires every worker covered by that agreement to contribute to the cost of running the union. These kind of clauses are meant to make sure that every worker who benefits from a contract negotiated by a union pays dues in support of that union. They're sometimes called uh, union security agreements, and right-to-work laws make union security agreements illegal. So in other words, Florida's right-to-work law means that if you take a job in a unionized workplace, you can't be required to pay dues to the union that represents you. Now, on one level, that might sound pretty good. Not paying for stuff is pretty awesome. But it also creates an issue of fairness. Because even if you choose not to pay those dues, you still get all the benefits that come from being covered by a collective bargaining agreement. The higher wages, the more affordable health insurance, the more predictable schedules, the sick leave, and so forth. So now you've got what economists call a free rider problem. That's what happens when some people can benefit from a common good without having to pay for it, which can then make the people who are paying for it less willing to pay, which can then lead to the loss of that common good for everyone. And that is exactly the point of Florida's right to work law. It's meant to make it easier for individual workers to skip out on paying union dues and harder for unions to survive. And now Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature have added Senate Bill 256 to the mix. Now, Florida's right to work law applies to all employees and unions, regardless of whether you work for a government agency or a private company. Senate Bill 256, though, is specific to public sector workers, although not all public sector workers. We'll get to that in a bit. But this is still an enormous universe of people in Florida. We're talking teachers, cafeteria workers, and custodians, nurses, librarians, and 911 dispatchers, professors, parks and rec workers, and mosquito control crews, garbage collectors, sanitation workers, and power linesmen, and lots more too. The state teachers union alone has roughly 150,000 members. All of these folks are directly impacted by Senate Bill 256. There are a bunch of provisions in this bill, but I'm going to focus on two in particular. The first part 
takes aim at how workers pay their union dues. If you're in a union, chances are you pay your dues through automatic paycheck deductions. Your employer pulls it straight out of your paycheck and sends it directly to the union. You don't have to do a thing. This is, of course, the same way many people pay for their health insurance or make 401k contributions. Lots of workplaces even let you use paycheck deductions to pay for gym memberships, daycare, or donations to charities. If you think about it, it makes sense for everyone involved. It's the cheapest and most efficient way to collect lots of recurring small payments from lots of different people. And if you're a worker, it's much better than having to mail a check every month or personally deliver cash or use some electronic transfer that will charge you fees. And that's even if you have some of these other options at all. Remember, there are millions of people in Florida who are unbanked or underbanked, folks that either don't have a checking or savings account at all, or who are forced to use expensive services like check cashing companies or payday lenders. There are lots of reasons for this sort of thing. Many people are living paycheck to paycheck and just don't have the money to open up an account or cover the monthly maintenance fees. Some folks face language barriers, a lack of transportation, or other obstacles that prevent them from accessing a traditional bank. This is a bigger problem than you might realize. Here's a stat that surprised me. An FDIC survey last year found that one in four households in Miami, one in four, were either unbanked or underbanked. But Senate Bill 256 makes it illegal for most public sector workers to pay their union dues via paycheck deductions. The bill doesn't stop paycheck deductions for insurance. It doesn't stop them for retirement. It doesn't even stop them for gym memberships. The one and only target is union dues. Obviously, this will make it much harder for workers to pay those dues, and even more likely that some will just stop paying altogether. Florida is a right-to-work state, after all. Which, of course, is the entire point here. Now, this is kind of like the OG union-busting bill. The big business lobby has been trying to get state legislatures around the country to outlaw paycheck deductions for more than a decade. They long ago branded this campaign as, quote-unquote, paycheck protection. Near as I can tell, the first attempt to pass a Paycheck Protection Act through the Florida legislature happened way back in 2011. The bill sponsor was a Republican member of the state house who uh, later parlayed his public service into a six-figure job at the biggest lobbying firm in Florida. But Senate Bill 256 goes much further than those early versions of the bill. Because at the same time as this bill makes it harder for workers to pay union dues, it also forces more of them to start paying dues, or else risk losing their union altogether. This part is a bit wonky, but it is crucial to the entire scheme. So try to stick with me here. Just sort of broadly speaking, all it takes to form a union is simple majority support in a workplace. If more than 50% of the eligible workers vote in favor of a union, they can start one. It doesn't really matter how many of those workers end up paying dues to the union or not. I'm glossing over some subtleties here, but that's basically the big test. Or at least it used to be. Because Senate Bill 256 adds another big test. This new law says that at least 60% of the eligible workers must also pay dues to the union. And if less than 60% pay dues, then the union must apply for recertification, which the employer can then use to demand yet another election. In other words, a majority of workers can still vote to form a union, 
But now a super majority of workers must then be willing to pay for that union if they want to keep it. And this can go on year after year, every time the number of workers paying dues in a union falls below 60%, giving the employer lots of chances to pressure, pressure individual employees and try to flip votes in an election. What's more, if the union messes something up in this recertification process, if it gets something wrong in the paperwork or misses a deadline, then the state can just immediately decertify it. That's a huge deal. If a union loses its certification, then its members lose all the protections in the labor contract they negotiated, and the employer is suddenly free to impose unilateral changes to pay, benefits, and all the other working conditions that get negotiated in a collective bargaining agreement. This is radical stuff. The right to collectively bargain is an explicitly protected right in the Florida Constitution. But Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature have just set up a system that essentially forces workers to pay money if they want to effectively exercise that right. And just think about how all these pieces fit together. First, Florida makes it very easy for workers who don't want to pay dues to skip out on them through its right-to-work law. But now Florida also makes it much harder for workers who do want to pay their dues by preventing them from using paycheck deductions. And at the same time, Florida now requires more workers to pay dues overall, or else risk losing their union altogether. It's almost impressively diabolical. It's also why it's so disgusting when supporters of this legislation continually claim during debates that this bill was trying to help workers. For what it's worth, here's the tale that supporters of this bill like to spin. They banned paycheck deductions, not to make it harder to pay dues, but to encourage more face-to-face -face conversations between workers and their union reps, as if there might not be better ways to encourage face-to-face -face meetings. And threatening to decertify unions without a new, enough dues-paying members wasn't meant to weaken unions and undermine workers. It was meant to strengthen unions and put workers in a stronger position by making sure more workers were engaged with the union process. The claim that Senate Bill 256 was meant to help workers was the single biggest lie of this year's legislative session. And you can tell it's a lie because Ron DeSantis and the leaders of the Florida legislature made sure that none of these changes applied to the big public sector unions that are most likely to support Republican politicians like Ron DeSantis and the leaders of the Florida legislature. Before passing this union-busting bill, DeSantis and the legislature carved out unions that represent police officers, firefighters, and corrections officers. So cops can keep paying their union dues via paycheck deduction, and prison guards can keep their unions no matter how many are actually paying dues. When he signed this bill into law, DeSantis even tried claiming that he was, quote-unquote, protecting teachers from being pressured into paying union dues. The governor did not explain why he didn't also want to protect police officers, too. The reality is that these carve-outs were put into the bill for one reason and one reason only, because Florida's main police and fire unions, like the Police Benevolent Association, the Fraternal Order of Police, and the Professional Firefighters Association, were all willing to provide political support to DeSantis, from endorsements to campaign contributions to photo ops. After DeSantis signed the bill, the Florida PBA even endorsed the governor's campaign for president. Now, you might be thinking to yourself that police officers and firefighters have uniquely dangerous jobs. But guess what? Federal data shows that working as a garbage collector is even more dangerous. 
But I guess the people that collect our garbage don't deserve protection. If there's a silver lining here, it's that these carve-outs could also prove to be the law's undoing. States can't pass laws that irrationally discriminate in favor of one person or entity over another. That's what the Equal Protection Clause in the U.S. Constitution is all about. And Senate Bill 256 is running right into some pretty significant equal protection problems. Take fire equipment mechanics, the folks whose job it is to repair fire trucks and other gear that firefighters use. Sometimes they have to fix this stuff in the middle of a fire. The fire equipment mechanics in the city of Miami Beach just lost the right to pay union dues through paycheck deductions and are now at risk of losing their union altogether just because they are represented by one of the disfavored unions targeted by Senate Bill 256. But two hours away, on the West Coast, the fire equipment mechanics in the city of Sanibel are completely unaffected, simply because they happen to be represented by one of those favored unions that got carved out of the bill. The same thing is happening with crime scene technicians and 911 dispatchers, where some people are losing collective bargaining rights, but others are not based solely on where they work and who happens to represent them. There have already been two lawsuits filed against Senate Bill 256, one in state court and one in federal court. Both suits argue that the law is unconstitutional on equal protection grounds. And the judge presiding over the federal case, at least, seems to agree that there are some potential problems here. Without a doubt, that judge wrote in a recent order, plaintiffs have raised important constitutional questions but both cases still have a long ways to go. So who ultimately is behind a law like this? Because Florida workers certainly didn't want it. In fact, if you watch any committee hearings on this bill, you would have seen the room packed full of working-class Floridians from all over the state, all of them there to oppose this legislation. But you also would have seen a small constellation of conservative activist groups and think tanks testifying in support of the bill. Groups with names like Americans for Prosperity and the James Madison Institute and the Mackinac Center. These are all nonprofits. And if you spend any time searching through their tax records, you'll quickly realize they all get money from a lot of the same sources. Just as one example, Americans for Prosperity, the James Madison Institute, and the Mackinac Center have all taken money from Charles Koch, the billionaire who runs Koch Industries, a sprawling industrial conglomerate involved with everything from pulp and paper to petrochemicals. When you hear people mention the Koch network, this is exactly what they're talking about. But ideological billionaires weren't the only ones driving this bit of union busting. Some of the world's largest corporations were also behind it, including companies we all know and use here in Florida. I mentioned that the first attempt at a paycheck protection bill in Florida happened way back in 2011. Know who really wanted it to pass? The Florida Chamber of Commerce. The chamber, which is run by executives at companies like Publix and Lockheed Martin and Universal Studios, even ran ads promoting the legislation. And the chamber was one of the cheerleaders again this year when Senate Bill 256 finally passed into law. But why would private companies like Publix and Universal Studios care about public unions. Because when public sector workers join together and collectively bargain for better pay and benefits, there is a spillover effect that lifts wages for other workers too, including private sector workers. That's because private companies end up having to raise pay themselves. 
both to avoid a potential union drive in their own workforce and to keep workers from leaving for a higher-paying union job somewhere else. These spillover impacts can be significant, especially for women. That's because public sector unions are concentrated in disproportionately female professions, jobs like teachers, nurses, and administrative assistants. Nationally, women make up something like 60% of all public union members. A couple of years ago, professors at Washington University in St. Louis and the University of Western Ontario analyzed nearly 30 years worth of U.S. employment data covering from 1977 to 2015. And they found a strong correlation between public sector unions and pay for non-union workers. In other words, the more public workers there are in a state who are organized into unions, the higher the pay is for everybody in that state, including workers in the private sector. The impact was especially striking on women who were working in non-union private sector jobs. The researchers estimated that those women, who again are working in non-union private sector jobs, were making an average of $32 more a week because of the presence of public unions. That's an extra $1,600 a year. The impact is even greater on women working in jobs like retail sales, financial sales, technical support administrative support, and private school teaching. Women working in those jobs are estimated to get a 2 to 3% pay bump for every 10-point increase in public union membership. That's why billionaires and big corporations hate unions, including public sector unions. And that's who Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature were really trying to, quote-unquote, protect with their union-busting bill. Okay, that'll do it for this week's show. As always, if you've got any feedback about this or any other stories we produce at Seeking Grants, or if you want to pitch any ideas for future stories or shows, please reach out anytime. My contact info will be in the show notes. And again, don't forget to subscribe. The easiest way to find us is at seekingrentsfl.com. And please pay for a subscription if you can afford it. Every dollar really does help. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you soon.